Maybe you've never given a lot of thought to how you make decisions. Maybe decisions for you are instinctual. You live in the now and you act first and think about it later. If so, today's episode is for you. I'm Emily P. Freeman, and welcome to this bonus episode of The Next Right Thing. This is part of a short series we're doing this month to celebrate the release of my new book, The Next Right Thing. What's special about these bonus episodes? Well, I'm sitting down with a guest to talk about their decision-making habits, regrets, quirks, and questions. Today, I'm sitting with my dear friend, Kendra Adachi. You may know her as the Lazy Genius. She hosts a podcast by the same name and is teaching us all how to be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. You may have already learned from her how to make her change your life chicken or how to do your laundry, shop at Costco, clean your bathroom like a lazy genius, because that's what she does. She sees the world through system colored glasses so that we can make no brainer decisions one time instead of wearing ourselves out over and over again with the same repetitive decisions. When I find myself unable to move forward with a problem I struggle with, Kendra is always a person I can turn to who's going to help me untangle myself from the mire of confusion and find my way forward again. Kendra is currently in the midst of writing her very first book due to release in 2020, so we all have that to look forward to. But lucky me, I've known Kendra for over 10 years now, and she's my sounding board for all of my own decisions, big and small. But we're not here to talk about my decisions. We're here to talk about hers. Listen in. All right, Kendra. So this is a podcast about making decisions, also a podcast about making a life. But I want to start with decisions because that will inform for us the shape of your life that we're going to read while you talk with us. Okay, so tell me this. What is the most ridiculous way you've ever made a decision. For example, it could be like back when you were a kid or it could be in high school because, you know, in high school, we make decisions in the dumb worst. ways yeah, the worst ones. <laughs> or just interesting ways. Does one come to mind for you? I definitely did the flip open the Bible and hope for the magic verse situation mm -hmm. a lot. Did that ever work? V Zero percent. There were always <laughs> oxen every single time in every <laughs> verse. There was oxen. It's very confusing. Um, I think the most ridiculous way I ever tried to make a decision was when I was trying to figure out what my personal style was and how to get dressed in the morning. Oh, like your clothing. My clothing. Okay. I made an actual list of every item of clothing I owned. I tried on, I'm not kidding, every possible combination of clothing. I wrote them all down. I broke them into seasons. Oh, wow. It was like 400 things. Right. And then I would just like check them off. That was the plan was to like when I wore an outfit, I'd check it off so I wouldn't repeat it again because I wanted to be a unique person okay. who didn't repeat her clothes. Mm -hmm. It lasted, I think, two days maybe. <laughs> but it was like the underlying pursuit of that was like I wanted to know every single possibility. Right. So that I wouldn't. I would know what I was choosing, that there wasn't something better or worse lurking. <laughs> it's like, I need to know every single possible combination of clothing that I own. Now, does that, does that translate for you? Because that's a, that's a funny kind of example. Mm -hmm. But the process is you basically made a spreadsheet. I, not, not basically, basically, I literally, like I really did. Yeah. So does that reflect your current decision-making style in any way? I think I still like to know everything that might happen in some ways, because I don't like the idea of doing something wrong or missing something better. 
but not really. Um, not anymore as much. I think now I've started to trust my intuition a little bit more than I used to. And really until I started listening to the next right thing and reading the book, I never really paid attention to how I made decisions. And as I have started to pay attention, I realized that so much of it isn't mulling over options. It's literally like, this feels right. And then I do it, which feels very polar opposite to making a list of every single possible Right. Outfit. That does feel really polar opposite. But I did that when I was, you know, like very newly married, like trying to be a grown up, trying to figure out things like who am I? And so now I think that I understand a little bit more of who I am. I'm not quite as obsessive about most decisions. I can be at times. The intuition that I depend on, if I think about it too much, it ceases to be intuition and starts to become obsession. Right. Like that's an the interesting clothes. point. So I think that they are kind of connected, but I'm, I'm not quite as intense yeah. <laughs> as that example might indicate. I do remember the first time I met you. I know what you're about to say. You don't. You I do. do. Okay, you we'll see. You can't. We'll see. Well, not the first time I met you, mm-hmm. but around when I was getting to know you. We came to your house. Yeah. You do know what I mean. It's the saying. calendar on the fridge. Came to your house. Yeah. <laughs> and you had dinner for us. That I was did. delicious, mm-hmm. by the way. Thank you. And we brought our son, Luke, who is now almost 13, and he was in a baby carrier. A literal baby carrier just on the floor staring at us with his beautiful in, eyes his the whole time. Brown eyes. And then he closed them and slept while we ate. But I remember like, I'm, you know, you get to know a person when you look around their house and on your fridge, <laughs> you had mm-hmm. the, I, I feel like it was a calendar of some kind. It was, it was like a yearly dry er- or wet erase calendar. Yeah, it, yeah. And, but what I remember from it was not the fact that there's a calendar on the fridge. Like, that's fine. I remember seeing words like baseboards and yeah. toilets and like cleaning goals. Every day. Kendra, every day. For a year. I also remember seeing a file of cut out Martha Stewart type or real simple magazine things like organized by, I don't know what. Me either. Okay. (laughs) But it was remarkable. I remember thinking like, I got the space from whence that came. Like I understood the pull to want to be that organized and that intentional with like housework and life and all the things. I remember thinking in my head like, oh, she's just like me, except she's doing me better. Like she's doing the actual thing that I think in my head that a person ought to be doing. And the irony of that is that's what I thought too. Not about you, but just like, oh no, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I didn't do what's on the calendar. (laughs) Like I would just look at it and feel bad that I didn't because I didn't want to clean. I'm like, why are we cleaning these stupid baseboards again? Like this is so stupid. But it was like this attempt at, you know, the real simple stuff, like not missing anything. Right. I don't want to miss anything because I did feel like at the time, like, oh, I'm supposed to have a cleaning routine. I am supposed to be able to keep up with all of these things. I'm, you know, and because when we met, I did not have kids yet. I was married, but I was really young. And again, just trying to figure, it was not probably long after the wardrobe spreadsheet that we met. So just trying to figure out who I was and not mess it up. Now, you know, I think I understand better who I am. I have recognized the value in messing up. I'm not su- still not super great at recognizing that or being w- being willing to uh, enter it on purpose, messing up. But yeah, there's just a lot more like, I'm a much more relaxed person than I was when we, when we first met, I think. Let me ask you this. You talk about messing up for, let's put that in quotes, because in some ways it's just being a person. It's really not messing up. It's just like allowing exactly. yourself the freedom. So we have an episode, there's a chapter in the book, the next right thing book about, um, my unconventional spiritual practice of wearing better pants. Mm, right. That though these things, you can't find them in a Richard Foster book on the celebration right. of the disciplines, <laughs> for example. <laughs> However, they are no less life forming and transformative for our daily lives. 
for someone like you, or for you, since you're the someone I'm talking with right now, (laughs) this idea of practicing almost like the spiritual discipline of something, like messing up, or the spiritual discipline of whatever— Is there something like that that you practice in your own life that's maybe unconventional? Again, Foster hasn't written about it, but for you, it's been transformational when it comes to doing your next right thing. I do. And it is to, it's to plan your hot dogs. Tell me more. Right. So when we think about feeding ourselves and our families, the thought of like, take out fast food, hot dogs, frozen pizza, like all those convenience things. We really feel like we're failing. Like they're a picture of like, well, I didn't get it together today enough and we had to have hot dogs or whatever. And I have just found that some days, especially when I feel like really overwhelmed or busy or whatever it is, like it is such a gift to live the entire day knowing that at the end of the day, we're having hot dogs. Like I'm planning that. And so I don't have to worry about dinner. And it's like this amazing gift. And then I'm not filled with, you know, shame when I decide at 5.15 to pull the dang hot dog. Okay, fine. So the difference in posture of like choosing hot dogs in the morning, planning them. I'm going to plan my hot dogs. It's completely different. And so, and I feel like that's such an easy like the pants, like it's such an easy livable thing to not feel badly about the things that actually can create space for us on days that we need them. Like there's nothing wrong with hot dogs, but it's even better if you plan them. Right. When hot dogs are your literal next right thing. Yeah. Like you. (laughs) That's about as simple as it gets, I think. It just is. And it, but it is actually really profound because rather than hot dogs being evidence of your failure to be a good whatever meal planner, now they are evidence of your meal plan success. Yeah. Because they were part of the plan. They all count. Okay, let me ask you this. Next question. Mm-hmm. What are some other areas in your life where you're planning your hot dogs? And there might not be any, but when it comes to your work or if it comes to something else in parenting or any other areas where you found, oh, I can have hot dogs one night on purpose mm-hmm. and that's part of my plan. Mm-hmm. Are there other areas where you're finding that is also true? You know, it's funny. I wonder if in some way most of my life is planning hot dogs. Oh, like as I think about it, because I plan hot dogs the way I plan anything else. Like I feel like if anything is chosen with intention within the parameters of what matters to a person, then it releases so much pressure of like what could have been, what I should be doing. What I mean, really just making the choice for me is really powerful. And so, you know, I don't know that I have it. It's almost like no example in every example. Like a lot of people on the internet are like, do a load of laundry every day. You know, like if you want to stay on top of things, do a load of laundry every day. And I'm like, that's stressful to me, for one, just as a practice. But also, like, why if I'm going to choose something that makes sense for me? And so I do all my laundry on one day. And that's not quite the same as like planning the hot dog. But in some ways, it's like if I just choose something on purpose that aligns with the energy I know I need to have at the time of day or whatever, it just makes me a lighter person. Yeah, I think I wonder if a lot of everything is just sort of planning hot dogs for me. Planning hot dogs. Everything's planning That's hot what dogs. we'll have to call this episode. Plan your hot dogs. <laughs> Plan your Do you hot have a Lazy Genius episode called Plan Your Hot Dogs? I don't. Well, you will now. I should record one. You should. And it'll just be go listen to this. <laughs> right. Okay. So you've already mentioned that you are someone who doesn't reflect a lot on your own decision-making process. Yeah. This next question might be difficult for you to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. What are the decisions in your life that are no-brainers, which is some of what we've already talked about? But then what are some of the decisions or the decision-making categories that really trip you up? 
when I think back to decisions that have been hard, which again is is sort of hard for me to name because I don't mull a whole lot. I don't consider a whole lot. It's like if I feel like this is the right thing to do, if my gut's like, let let's do this, then that's what I do. But it's harder. It's harder to move. It always involves other people. Like all decisions that relate to another person, how they might feel about my decision, if they are involved in the decision, if they are somehow emotionally impacted by the decision, it's really so much harder for me. So I've just sort of recognized, I think, that decisions that are just about me, like decisions about my business, those don't even feel like decisions. I'm just like, oh, no, let's do this next. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to have a next right thing with my business because not that it's all about me. It's, it's very much not. But I'm sort of in charge of it and like... I know what it is. And, you know, like when I started writing the book I'm working on, like I did have a conversation with my husband. I'm like, all right, so when this happens, it's going to be different in terms of time. And like, I'm going to be gone more on the weekend some. And, you know, we're going to have to kind of redistribute how we run the house as a team differently. That didn't necessarily make the decision harder, but it made it slower. Hmm because I had to have that conversation with him and it was healthy and good and all of that. But I think that's where the tripping, ironically, really is in the speed, I think. Decisions that trip me up are ones that have to be made slower. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Decisions <laughs> but, that trip you up are yeah. ones that you have longer time to make? Yep. So you would prefer to have a quick decision that has to be made like today? Yeah. That is insane. Yeah, because it takes longer because there are conversations and other people. And my husband is the slowest processor. Okay. And that is something that I've had to like deal with because it's so hard. It's so different from the it's way that you- so different yeah. from the way. And and I think because that wasn't really named like until like 15 years into our marriage, like, mm. oh, that's why it's so hard to communicate because I'm like, just snappy, let's go. <laughs> and he's like, well, for a- of our like multiple oh, days funny. slower decisions are almost always going to have me end up in a more thoughtful place almost always and so he does kind of help he helps me do that um but yeah those are the but it's because it's not my natural way of doing it the right. slower ones are the ones that trip me up tell me this when you think back as i'm i'm forcing you to do something that you don't maybe often do thinking back i'm right. going to force you to do this when you think back on your life can you find a decision that you made that at the time it just felt like a simple next right thing. Like, and you didn't maybe see beyond it. But now when you, from this side of it, you look back and you say, oh, that was really significant and transformational and maybe even changed the trajectory of my life. When Ben, my middle kid, was barely born, I hadn't had any sort of creative outlet for a a solid two years at that point and was starting to feel it. Like, I need to do something. And I love baking and I love pop culture and I love bringing people around those things separately. And I didn't know that I could bring people around it together. And so basically I I was like, you know, would it be weird? And I remember sitting in your living room with our friend Melissa, like, is this a good idea? Like, I don't even know. And you both like, because we were all lounging, like we were three queens of Sheba, like on different couches, just like having conversations. And um, and you, I remember you both like sat up when I was like, so what if I just got like a box And I filled it with different desserts that were inspired by a pop culture theme and people bought them every month. And y'all were like, what is happening? And I had, I had sort of done that a little bit with like just a box of food. It wasn't necessarily themed food, but when I started that business, it was called the sugar box. When I started that, I didn't really have an end game. It was like a hobby. I just wanted something where I could get a babysitter to watch my kids for an entire day. I could bake all day. 
I could fill a box with like brownies and cookies and all happiness. the things, all the TV happiness, so much fun and have people come and get them. And it filled me for the whole month. It was so lovely because I, I only did that once a month, but I didn't start it being like, I'm going to have this huge business or I'm going to do this forever. It was like, it really was. Let's try this. And w- one time, and if nobody buys them, I won't do it again. And that's not usually my MO, right. like at all. How long did you do the sugar box? I did 17 boxes. So was 17, 17 months? months. Yeah. And you're not doing it now. I'm so not. What caused you to shut it down? Well, I shut it down because I got pregnant. Okay. <laughs> that was well, one part. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I shut it down because it was making me no money. Mm-hmm. It was filling a huge need in terms like personal, so personally fulfilling, but it wasn't making any money and it was starting to grow beyond me and my kitchen. And so it was kind of like, well, do I really pursue this and scale this as a business and get into like an industrial kitchen and hire people who wear hairnets and all the things and like produce Those hairnets, man, That's produce a big and commitment. ship them, you know, yeah. be able to ship them. And it just, it started to feel like it was taking the soul out of what it was mm-hmm. For one, and then also that is not a flexible job when you have a new baby. And so I was like, well, do I scale that or do I start just writing something different? And that's when I started The Lazy Genius. But the crazy thing is it did two things, doing the sugar box and just deciding to do that simple thing did two things. One, it kind of showed me that having a regular creative outlet and sharing what I care about is really essential to me being a person that kind of just being home Not that it's not enough, but it's not, I don't feel like it's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be doing more or not, you know what I mean? Not more like morally more, just in addition to, Mm -hmm. which is why I love doing The Lazy Genius and having it be a thing that I spend a lot of time on. And But then the other thing that I didn't expect was I have always known I love baking and I've had that, you know, this secret, anybody who's listened to anything I've said before has heard this before, just this secret bakery dream for so, so long. And um, but to, to, have a, to have, a, to bakery. have a bakery in my town, the town that I grew up in, like I've been here my entire life. I love this place. And so I think like just sort of getting a taste of that, I didn't expect for the joy that I would get out of feeding people stuff that I made. I didn't really expect it to like buoy me in the way that it did. I didn't expect it to be like, oh, I could do this every day. Mm. Like this is really what I want to do. It's really helpful because I think that if I had this dream and plan now, it's not a dream anymore. Like it's a plan now of opening this bakery. If I was doing that without having had that taste, I don't know that I would have the patience to wait as long as I have to, Hmm. to have the bakery. That's also a way that I don't really operate usually. Right. Like I'm not very patient. We've established this. Slow decisions trip me up. So I'm really grateful for that. And it's helped me kind of, it's like a sustaining thing. Is it a camel that can go a really long time? They drink like one time. I and feel then they like, last yeah, because really the hump, time. they store things. So there. I feel like the sugar box was like a very simple thing that I chose without understanding that it was going to be like, oh no, you're getting sustenance for years to carry you through to this thing that really matters. That's always been there. You didn't quite know, you know? So the faithfulness of Jesus in that whole process is really kind of astounding that I'm willing to wait for it. Yeah. It's also astounding. <laughs> I love that it was, the sugar box was your next right thing at a certain point in your life. And there came a day when closing the sugar box was also your next right thing, right. but yeah. it had opened a door right. to something in the future that was a bigger next right thing, but it was maybe 40 next right things down the row. Yeah. Okay, final question. Quick 15-second answer. What's your next right thing? I feel like a lunch that's not my kids' 
leftover lunch is my next right thing. Nice. I love it. Yeah. That feels good to me. I'm going to go home and take five minutes and make food, make real food. Kendra, thank you for being with us on the Next Right Thing podcast. Well, as Kendra makes herself a grown-up lunch, I hope you are also able to ask and answer the simple question, what is your next right thing? There may be many things to choose from, and I hope one of them is to check out Kendra at thelazygeniuscollective.com. You can also find her at The Lazy Genius Podcast, where you can hear more of me and Kendra together on episode 102. If you're in the midst of a major life transition, or if you're simply growing weary of the low-grade anxiety and decision fatigue that often comes in the midst of daily life, I hope you'll continue listening to The Next Right Thing Podcast. We have new episodes every single Tuesday, and I know you'll also find hope and practical next steps in my newest book, The Next Right Thing. It's available now wherever books are sold. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.